Jim, take it. Dopamine. Oh, so yeah. So we were just right before the right before you hit record, we were talking about dopamine, and uh, and uh, how I'm trying to reel uh, Sky into doing some writing on Star Trek Adventures, and uh, we were just talking about how how the dopamine hit can be real, and uh, I just wanted to to reflect on that to say that uh, you know it is now uh, uh, April 17th, and just a few days ago, like last week, uh, we we um, issued the press release for for Lower Decks. And uh, you know, being part of the Star Trek Adventures family now, and um, because I have enough experience doing this kind of thing over the last several years, I intentionally booked as much of my day as I could um, from work so that I could focus on the social media and just see how excited fans were for the announcement. And that is uh, like hearing the fans get excited about it is a total dopamine rush. And that mm-hmm. is that that is honestly like 50, 60 percent of why I do this still after seven years because like i'm so excited for the fans because like we, we we all collectively worked really hard on that stuff mm-hmm. and and um i'm doing it totally for the fans i mean for me to some extent for you guys to some extent and ladies and people um but also for the fans because i knew how excited they'd be so I, i'm loving that dopamine rush and i get that every single time we get a new release but also every single time i see a um I see a, a, a YouTube video or a Twitch channel or a live stream or, a, a, you know, any kind of stuff online that I see people out there playing the game, enjoying it, having fun. It's a dope hit and uh, it's addictive, super addictive. So, see? Um, and I love this, especially yeah. for people who just tuned into this podcast and are like, who is this guy? And what's he talking about? Because <laughs> <laughs> this is continuing conversations. This is how we roll Star Trek Adventures 24 oh, seven. I'm Michael, De- I'm Michael Dismuke, a freelance uh, writer for Star Trek Adventures. I also am a blogger on continuing missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG. And now we're going to go back to him and then he's going to introduce this amazing cast and crew we've assembled today uh, to part party and talk about STA. So let's give it to Jim Johnson. Hey, everybody, Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Modiphius Entertainment, low these many seven plus years now, and super excited to be here. We are not talking about Lower Decks tonight, but we are talking about some other cool stuff related to Star Trek Adventures, and uh, we have assembled a mighty cast of people. I am super excited to be here. I'm super excited for them all to be here. Uh, we have a bunch of recurring guests and then one new one as well. So um, I'm, without more further ado, I'm going to let them all introduce themselves. I'm going to just start uh, in the back corner right there, which is uh, Sky. Introduce yourself and then pass the mic. All right. Uh, my name is Sky. Um, I'm the only one on here, I think, that isn't a writer, but <laughs> uh, but they're reeling me in. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I guess I have that to look forward to. Um, and I have been playing Star Trek Adventures since it came out. Um, I've played several different positions, and I just love the game. I'm a super fan. So, uh, yeah, um, on to Al. How's it going, everyone? Al Spader, freelance writer for um, Star Trek Adventures. I'm also writing for the uh, Modifius World Builders program uh, up on Drive Through RPG, uh, and I'm excited to do some riffing tonight. Aaron, 
I'm Aaron Pallier. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. Uh, you've seen me here a few times before. I tend to focus on science, technology, engineering, starships, that kind of thing. But I dabble in a lot of different subjects in Star Trek. So awesome. I'll, I'll pass it on to whoever's next. It is Lee Wanika, who is our first time guest today. So round of applause. Yay! All right. Thank you, everyone, for uh, the invite. My name is Lee Wanika. I am one of the three co-hosts of Tabletop Journeys. We're a podcast that discusses any number of tabletop games. We've done all kinds of them, and I am proud to be the one who uh, really put the hammer down uh, on the gas pedal of getting Star Trek Adventures to our show. We've recorded a number of episodes so far. We have already recorded content that will take us into july at this point mm. um fresh meat fresh meat fresh yes <laughs> so uh i was addicted from the first turn of the page and it hasn't changed um in addition to running to running games uh on the podcast for our patron subscribers as well as uh other folks who, who just want to be a part of it we are making plans to involve other podcasters that we work with frequently trying to get them involved in some adventures i have actually just got done arranging i'm setting up the event for um doing some learn to play uh stuff at my local game store uh, which uh, the Citadel games, which Michael was kind enough to shout out uh, uh, last Friday. Um, so it was uh, just, I, I am so excited beyond the moon, beyond the moon to be here. Super Fantastic. cool. And uh, as, uh, as per uh, tradition with us, uh, for everybody who comes here for the first time, we have two questions for you. Uh, question number one, what is your favorite Star Trek series? And question number two, who is your favorite Star Trek captain? So this question literally changed or is in the process of changing, but it has traditionally been Deep Space Nine and it has traditionally been uh, Captain Sisko. I would say if season two of Strange New Worlds continues the way season one has, that is quite likely to change to Captain Pike. Um, but I would also add maybe this little uh, uh, nugget of fun uh, for, for any new guests that come on after me. You should probably ask about your favorite episode because that just changed with episode nine of Star Trek uh, Picard's uh, season three. That is now my all-time favorite Star Trek episode across all series. Wow. Wow. Like wow. that good. I will do my absolute level best to not give spoilers. Hopefully it'll be far beyond that. And everybody who would ever want to have seen it will have, but oh uh -huh. my goodness, that was such a great episode. Every single feel that I have all in that one 45, 50, however long minutes it was. I, I, right. I wasn't looking at the clock. <laughs> I love that. I love favorite episode. We got to start adding that Jim. I'm okay with that. Just be prepared for longer episodes because there's <laughs> a thousand hours of Star Trek out there. We could be yeah. here all night. Like, I mean, me personally, like I know me. I mean, I would, I'd be like, well, there's this episode and there's this episode and there's this episode. There's just so many. You're right. Difficult for me. You're yeah. right, Jim. You know what? It would be hard for them to focus. 
Uh, I, oh, I see where you're going. Oh, yeah, there you go. Gosh, that darn one. it, you. <laughs> Just so you all know, the theme of today's episode okay. is about focuses. Oh, we are here to riff about focuses. And this came up because so many times when we're talking on this show, we talk about traits, we talk about values, we talk about focuses, and really how a game master should be working with players to incorporate those focuses, traits, values into forming the game. And so we've talked about it a lot, but we haven't really talked about how to, or shown how to do it. Isn't that right, Jim? We were talking about that. Yep, yep. He says, yeah. Okay, good. So with that, this is... <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> He's really expressive tonight. It's that dopamine. Um, so, so so we're going to go around. I, again, we're riffing. We're making this up as we go along. And I kind of want to first do a go around with everybody and talk about your favorite focus, okay? And we're just going to go quick. And, and then, Jim, how do you want to handle this? Do you think we should we should take everyone's favorite focus and show how we would build a module around that? Or do you think everyone should just pick a focus and we all riff off that one at a time? What's your preference? Um, well, so, you know, f- focuses, like, I mean, there's there's as many focuses as there are words in the in the English language, really, oh. right? Or, or French or what, what, you know, whatever combination you want to make. So I almost feel like it would be better if we each came up with a, like, not, not so much our favorite focus, but like a really cool focus. And then we take those six focuses and we build a campaign around it. Love it. I love that idea. So, so we've all had a chance to make, I have to make up a new one. Cause I actually had picked one that you created Jim that I was dying to use, but do I have to make one up myself? No, go ahead and use it, man. I don't care. Okay. So, so I'm picking one that Jim wrote when he did a character bio in Shackleton expanse, and I've been dying to see it in action. So I'm picking unorthodox mathematics as my focus um, for, for this one. And I don't know what it is and we'll figure out, what it is at some point as we start building the module all right let's let's go over to our guest Loanika. what's the focus yeah i'm writing this down by the way so we got unorthodox mathematics i'll put it in the chat window too to oh, make hey, it easy for that? us yeah. the, the okay. fans can't see that but we'll see it correct that'll be handy hmm. yay technology oh so i had been thinking about this uh just because we completed our session zero and my group has been talking about focuses and foci or and both work by the way um but i actually was thinking about a character i would want to play and i was definitely thinking about um uh, a federation chaplain and so the focus would have been federation member world religions mm-hmm. and basically just have a character who connects with all the different species or as many of them as I could possibly muster uh, and really just be able to dig into their beliefs, knows the lore of Kalas, knows about the 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 prophets and can speak to the, that hidden the hidden uh, religious beliefs of that has been supplanted in the Cardassian Empire. I just there's so many good things that that kind of character could do and literally be a part of everything that I it is a character I'm in the process of putting together and building uh, currently. I love it. They would even know the Ferengi River of what is it again? Uh, the the, <laughs> the Great River. Yeah, the Great River. The yeah. Great River. Uh, and and like like Zeno religious studies, right? Like yeah, I love yeah, the ex- that. Like like Zeno theology or something. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Yeah, that yeah, that's yeah. definitely the way to go. Zeno theology. Okay, so that's scratch right. UFP religions. We're actually going to go Zeno theology on this. Yeah, I dig that. 
I like that. Good one. Okay. Uh, let's just for funsies, you pick Lee, you decide who we go to next. We'll do it that way. Uh, Sky one super fan to another, please take it away. <laughs> all right. All right, my man. Um, let's see. So one that I like to be really creative, um, because my foci for a long time were just kind of cut and dry from the book. Um, but I used to have one called composure, but I replaced it. The, what, what the new name is steely eyed missile woman. Mm. <laughs> um so if anybody needs me to explain that reference so so it's a term that comes from nasa um and it was originally awarded uh well originally described john aaron who worked as a mission controller in in mission control on white team on apollo 13 um and was basically responsible for um making sure that they had enough power and that they were using their startup sequence on the command module Odyssey to be able to come back home. Um, and because the ship that I captain is an Odyssey class starship, um, like all of our shuttles are named after uh, mission controllers from it. Apollo 13 and our Aquarius is named the level. So, um, so like I am a huge Apollo 13 fan. So, um, but that is a very like, and it's also continued on um, in kind of NASA lore. So like, that's kind mm -hmm. of the, the highest compliment you can get. And it basically means that you get stuff done under pressure. Um, and you are consistently the most interesting person I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm oh gonna, my gosh I, I don't know what to say no so it's it's just one of those where like I can apply that and I often apply that you know so instead of composure it's this you know it is composure but it's a fun way of saying it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I wanted to pick on it just a little bit because uh, when, when I look at steely-eyed missile woman I I see that as being a fantastic uh, value. Like, yes, like, it I'm could work as that as well. So I'm curious. I, I guess this is a question for the group, not to not to digress too much, but like like what what's the nuance for this to be a focus as opposed to being a, a, a value of a character that could be tested during the course of a uh, an episode or a session? Hmm. I mean, to me, I, like focus is like a skill, something um, you can it, learn. Yeah something that you can study, something that you can get better at. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, you know, a value is more an ideal that you hold true to yourself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, that's See, the way that I've always perceived it. Some aspect of your personality that you express often. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, the way that it was described to me when I was an answering it or being asked and answering the same question uh, by uh, another super fan, Joe Harney, who has joined our game. Uh, he actually said he tends to think of values as I believe statements. So whether you actually have the phrase, I believe as part of the value statement or not, is it necessary? But if you uh, think about it as with that in front of whatever it is, uh, then that kind of completes a value statement because it's about something more core to your essence and how you view and approach and interact with the world versus a specific area of study or technique that you are an expert in and can utilize. 
Cool. The, okay. the reason I like this steely-eyed missile woman is because it tells me a lot about the character from a historical study point of view, too, is Absolutely. that they're looking into the, psychiat the, the, the um, psychographic profile of these people technical people who operate under pressure. And I would actually expect maybe that this character doesn't, well, you already said it. It's anyone involved with the Apollo 13 mission that, and those kind of people. Um, and it's almost something like training people, how training people, how to embody this common aeronautical astronautical term. So, I, I mean, I, I'm loving this because I think Tom Paris, right. When I see it um, and his knowledge of 20th century Lord, this is just a cool way to say Tom it. Tom Paris was her mentor. That's oh, that's part of her, you know, character creation. She was mentored, and and we decided that Tom Paris was her mentor. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, and and I definitely think of it as a focus versus a value because, like, you don't say, "Oh, I'm a steely-eyed missile woman." That is something that is given to you. That is a title that is. Earned, Ooh, um, so it could be skill. a trait. No, 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 it won't be a trait because again, we're talking about the history yeah. behind this too. Okay, right? Yeah, it. It, it is a turn of phrase, but it means, mm. like I said, I kind of like I kind of took like oh composure that that kind of just sounds boring to me. <laughs> I kind of gave it some personality. It's basically like you know you could also phrase it as like you know good under pressure. Kind yeah, of. this one's rich. I like this one. This is rich. We're going to dig into it. We're going to see how we get into the story. All right, pick the next person. Who goes next, Guy? Uh, let's do Aaron. Okay. Um, I I had a problem choosing one, mainly because I like the way focuses interact with each other to produce kind of what the character is more interested in. So, mm -hmm. like, a single focus tends to not describe the character perfectly. Um, so I think I might likely have the most boring of them on this list that is coming up, but Starfleet Protocol. And the reason why I think that is a fantastic focus and one that is underused in nearly every game that I've, I've watched is that it should touch on just about every aspect of Starfleet operations on a daily basis. And during any kind of strange situation, a person with uh, Starfleet protocol could fall back onto training saying, I know how I should react to this. There were procedures. There are rules for this. I know how to handle this. And you can uh, try to apply it to any situation you're in. Oh my goodness. Can I, okay. We're, we're going to be riffing about how to mix all these together into one thing. And based off what you said, you know, things are supposed to go this way. We so far have unorthodox mathematics, Zeno theology, which never works out how everyone plans, and steely-eyed missile woman operating under pressure, despite protocol breakdown. Sorry, my mind's already starting to riff. Two more to go. Who well, goes that's next part here? of what Starfleet protocol is. When, when things fall apart, what do you do? Yeah. And I, I want to just riff on this real quick. I think, um, Aaron, I, I wonder... If, if one of the reasons we don't see this that often in a lot of streams and, and mm -hmm. YouTube and, you know, things, I almost wonder if there's an element of, um, of, of gamers who are new to Star Trek who may not be that familiar with, with Star Trek, Starfleet Protocol because mm -hmm. they don't have the, the, the 50 years of lore you know, mm -hmm. you know, ingrained in them. I wonder if they kind of avoid that because they don't know. But, mm -hmm. but on, the, on the flip side of that, I'm like, this is a great focus to take because... Even if you, the player, don't know Starfleet Protocol, your character does. 
So they can lean into this focus, and that's where the game master and, and the more knowledgeable players can help you and say, well, you know, you know, you, 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 Donna Frank, you know, player of this character may not know how Starfleet works, at least as we understand it from the totality of the mm-hmm. franchise. But because your character has this this uh, this focus, you would probably know A, B, C, and D. And, mm-hmm. and so this is why I think it's it's not a boring it's not a boring focus at all. I don't think. Um, I think it's super useful. I mean, especially because if you watch the vast majority of Star Trek episodes, protocol comes into it at some point. There's always some law being broken. There's a, like the Prime Directive is a great example. That's yeah. part of protocol, right? So I think this is a great choice. I love it. I, gonna, I, I was going to say, I, I absolutely love that choice. I mean, one of Riker's first duties or acts as an XO on the Enterprise was to cite Starfleet Protocol and tell Picard he was absolutely not going on that away mission. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that doesn't tell you how important and how useful that particular uh, focus is, I don't know what what would. But I can tell you, you're going to see a little bit more of it. Our game actually has three characters that took that focus. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awesome oh i love it because then you can get into the little debates back and forth about mm-hmm. the nuances of uh of, of the the protocol yeah i dig it sky yeah. go ahead well yeah and and i was thinking about it in terms of you know because we're like oh how do these all intermix but you see three of these like so unorthodox mathematics if we're thinking about that from an engineering perspective mm-hmm. and then steely-eyed missile man steely-eyed missile woman um you know grace under pressure you know smartness under pressure and then starfleet protocol that's shaw that's captain shaw to a t because like you know he's always finding the the goofy you know he's he's doing the engineering things that are unique that they need to you know that they need to do he may not like it because it's against protocol but when push comes to shove he is cool he's in the moment he knows what needs to be done and he has the expertise to do it and the unique thinking about the expertise to do it so like that's that's where I think like you could find an intersection, all of that in a character that we've already seen. Okay, all right, Aaron, pick the next. Al, Al. All right. Well, I'm. I think that I've always said that I like having some uh, focuses that have to do with your job and maybe your Starfleet, uh, your your academy upbringing and whatnot. Uh, but I also like to have focuses based around what you enjoy and who you are. Um, So one of the focuses that I've seen used in the past and I think is really fascinating and can be used for several uh, different things is gymnastics. I love it. I love it. Mm. Love it. I can see it being used in a lot of situations. Yeah, yeah, we'll oh, see. Yeah. We'll, we'll see where this campaign goes. But gymnastics, I think that we need to, as a GM, you know, our goal would be to try to find and put a character with this focus into a situation where they could potentially use this focus. I, I mean, real life situation. Al did it to my character who had gymnastics, and there was a situation where I, she had to make the jump very far in order to try to rescue something, and that gymnastics came into play. Interesting. I, I love that it is specifically gymnastics and not like acrobatics or uh, or, or yep. something. It's very specifically gymnastics, which which in my I, brain I like- anyway is a very specific set of exercises and routines and skill mm-hmm. set. You know, 
I think Sorry, I think no, one I... of the things that I've said in the past, Jim, is that like it like I like having those broad focuses too, but I think having one or two narrow focuses mm-hmm. when those actually do come into play, yeah. that's when you really feel like the hero. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. if your GM can can get you into a situation where, you know, your tap da- dancing routine comes into play, yeah. you really feel like a hero, you know, so. And yeah. let's not mention that when I did that leap, I failed. If you remember, I failed. I actually oh, I failed remember. the role. <laughs> so so she missed success at cost, but she looked great. She looked great as she was arcing toward the jump. Missing it was a whole nother story. Perfect form, just a little too far. Yeah. <laughs> Al, Al, I remember that conversation, and that's exactly why I picked the focus I picked because it, it was it was right in that wheelhouse. And uh, um, did you have anything else you wanted to say about gymnastics before? No, I No, that's good. I know, la- I know I'm the last one on the list. So uh, the the focus I picked of of all of them, um, I went with um, classical literature. Mm-hmm. So it could be boring, but uh, I think um, just this particular character that is just one of their focuses. That is something that 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 they know, and uh, and it's a hobby, but uh, just thinking about like, I mean, even next generation, certainly Picard had that uh, or an element of that. And uh, it, it, he used it in a handful of episodes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly uh, um, um, uh, uh, Darmok, right, was a good example where he, he drew, drew back on his liter- literary uh, background to, uh, to pull out some metaphors that helped out. So, uh, uh, boy, what a great list. This is so cool. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll classical, read it back. For, uh, yeah. Let me read it. Classical literature oh, almost mm-hmm. suggests like a specific planet classical literature because you could you could make an argument that the classical literature of Andoria is different than yeah, Earth, obviously. But I should, I, should, I should narrow that down a bit. Uh, let's. But uh, let's, a generalized focus like that, I mm-hmm. think, is fine too. Like just hey, I have a general spattering of knowledge of a lot of the planets pre-warp literature you could go that's a good one oh yeah uh you could even go xeno xeno classical literature yeah why not let's call it jim we call it jim i've heard some really interesting ones here i'm liking xeno xeno classical literature i'm digging on that one yeah well not so much earth it's everybody else's literature well it makes me think of you know how garrick and bashir would kind of exchange you know you know garrick would have uh bashir read cardassian literature and vice versa and then they'd talk about it and then they'd be like i don't really like this (laughs) and so like that that's what it reminds me of oh i love it yeah that was the 12 the the something tales where it was like uh the spy tales or something i can't remember the name of it i have to i have to go back and check that episode but that i remember those episodes where they talked about the various stories and what would happen i already see a campaign or at least a mission off these yeah, like I, I mean, I think it's at least to me, I have an idea. Good. Let's talk about this for a little. Before we get into the details of the mission, um, we're all writers here in some form or fashion. You know, even if we haven't been published yet, some of you are about to get published. But, but I want to talk about how our brains work as writers when we look at this, because it's important as a game master, right? They're creating stories and we're here to kind of provide some advice and guidance on how do you do this? How do you find conflict and story in here? If you're just looking at your players focuses. All right. So let's kind of go around and do that. I want to know what your brains are ticking off, not the details of the story. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear how you construct with with things like this um al why don't we start with you what what do you what do your what's your writing brain thinking when you look at stuff like this 
Um, so first, uh, the first thing I like to think about is, um, I mean, like I already mentioned, you want it, it's my responsibility to try to get a character into a situation where one of these might be applicable, right? Especially if it's someone that maybe didn't have um, the center of attention the last mission that we went on, right? Um, so we give everybody a chance to grow. I mean, it's an ensemble uh, storytelling uh, method, uh, so to speak. Um, but as I start looking at a list, um, you know, I, I kind of start thinking about what my idea for a story is, you know, whether it's I'm pulling it from a book or whether I'm coming up with my own um, and thinking, well, maybe this might not be a direct adaptation of the focused, but if they really think about it, they might be able to apply their focus in other ways. Um, like it's one thing to read a word and just take that word for what it says, but to be able to apply that concept to a situation that maybe isn't directly what it was planned for. Um, I think that giving those opportunities are really important. Um, you know, I was thinking, uh, like if someone had a juggling focus, for example, right. Uh, you know, that might not be common that they would put on a juggling show for, you know, anyone, but what if they, you know, they're carrying something hot or that they, they're going to drop something or that, you know, like, or they're passing stuff off to their teammates. Like you think about what the concept is that that focus represents and other ways that it can apply to other situations. Um, and that's kind of what I start thinking about as I start, uh, putting together the idea of what focuses we want to look at. So to me, in game terms, you're thinking about possible encounters, like think little pieces of encounter that you might be getting in there. Okay, okay. The others, what, what do you think of when you see this smattering of words? And just to read it, let me read it back to everyone. I haven't done that yet. So we're looking at unorthodox mathematics, xenotheology, steely-eyed missile woman, sounds like a great country song, Starfleet protocol, gymnastics, and xenoclassical literature. So what's every... What what are the other writer brains doing out there? I start I, putting them in combinations. Just like how do these two, how can two of these be tied together? Then if I have those two tied together, how can I tie a third, then a fourth, then a fifth? And I don't know, I have an idea from it, but it's yeah. like there there's a couple that are strange to tie together, like unorthodox math, mathematics and xenotheology theology and mathematics how do you tie that together i uh, that's tough but you can and I then you take the next yeah. step and next step and next step right tell that to the illuminati <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i to kind of riff off of that because so i start kind of doing broad strokes and what i am actually putting together is you theology and xenoclassical literature and then where my brain goes after that is starfleet protocol so i'm thinking a theocratic society pre-warp um their prime directive issues involved um there might be um there might be some uh anomalies involved you know so you're talking about your unorthodox mathematics like maybe they believe their gods are angry at them or something you know i don't know there's there's something going on in this pre-warp civilization that's you know, endangering them. Um, but, you know, you have to maintain not only the prime directive, but you have to maintain 
you have to not break their faith. <laughs> you know what I mean? So a, a character that has that Xeno theology plus the Xeno classical literature, they may be, you know, they could be familiar with the literature of a bunch of different planets. So they're able to kind of take the holy texts or whatever of this culture and be able to provide context to the religion, which refers back to whatever crisis is going on. So like, that's where okay. my brain is going with it. Like, so you, you develop general plot from this mix. Okay. Lee, you were about to say something. Yeah. Uh, very similarly, I did uh, the exact same thing and I grouped them in almost exactly the same manner uh, with Xeno uh, theology followed by Xeno classical literature, then Starfleet protocol. Um, gymnastics is sitting right there in the middle and then the, the final two. Uh, and in my head, I thought about using the first three to kind of set up the the episode itself like this is what the episode is about the the gymnastics was going to be uh the focus that would effectively need to be used at some point for some encounter or another within the episode and the resolution or the solution to whatever the problem we create would be the final two uh, and that was where my mind went with it. It was kind of like utilizing a piece of this throughout every aspect of, of, of the mission. And um, that that's kind of where I went with it. I love that. So you're looking at the acts and saying, where would this particular focus apply? That's going to be the spotlight for that character who has that focus. Love it. Love that. Jim. Uh, yeah. So my initial thought is that uh, I was thinking an episode rather than a campaign. I think uh, if I was going to be playing a campaign, I would be looking at all the focuses, all 36 focuses, right? There's six players here. We'd have we'd have six focuses each, or probably, unless we're playing creation and play or something. Uh, but I'd be looking at the totality of the focuses and the values and everything else about the characters to really try to figure out what's that campaign look like. Uh, of course, I'd also be getting your feedback too, right? Because I wouldn't want to just create a campaign without anybody's input. Uh, I'd want that to be a collective, collaborative effort. Uh, but specifically for creating an episode, though, I would look at these six. And the first thing I'm thinking about is like, what's the high level story? What's the what's the big what's the big um, um, what, what's the log line, basically? Like, what's the what's the whole point of the episode? And just looking at these six focuses, the first thing that came out to me is either a first contact situation, a second contact situation or some sort of mystery that is tied into most of these. And then a couple of them would be kind of like things that would be tested during the episode that aren't necessarily directly related to the to the plot, but would have would probably be like encounters or extended tasks or some sort of thing that happened that would give that character an opportunity to lean into that focus. Uh, but I can see where um you know not to not to jump in just this is just me thinking off the top of my head. Unorthodox mathematics, xenotheology, xenoclassical literature and Starfleet protocol, all four of those I would immediately tie into the high levels overall concept of the episode and then um, fold in everything else from there. Okay, interesting, good. So similar to that, looking at the acts and, and building the story. I yeah. How I write, because I do believe that stories and what gets us involved is conflict. I immediately divided this into two segments and I put together unorthodox mathematics, xenotheology, 
Xeno classical literature and gymnastics, I put those together and I put Starfleet protocol and celiac missile woman on the opposite side of it. Because to me in Star Trek, what gets us is oftentimes those interpersonal conflicts. So I'd be starting to divide up where there's a solution and there's a unorthodox religious movement way to go about it. maybe the religion is based about body movements and that's how they communicate right so the person with gymnastics might have better better or maybe it's a spatial language and it's how you move through space and and maybe the clues to that are in their xenoclassical literature but whatever this is i would make it so that the conflict is that starfleet protocol is and and it may not work and also maybe not being so steely eyed and, and composed, but maybe letting go a little bit, getting into this philosophical loose spot, you know? So, so I look at that that way and I would deconstruct so that you actually have the Starfleet crew having an inner conflict based off this. I think that makes so much fun is having people argue, not argue at the table, but debate at the table. And there's a bigger problem to solve. So that's how I kind of approach it. I'm looking for the conflict in these or the potential conflicts throughout the story. Yeah. And I, I think the, I, I, I just think the interpersonal conflict between the characters is sometimes more interesting than the one with the adversaries. For sure. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, I think, right. I, think, I think that could certainly work. Especially if, if that's something that your group wants, right. wants at the table, by all means, go for it. I think me personally, I tend to prefer the the crew getting into conflict with with the uh, NPCs, whether it's a you know fisticuffs or just like a moral dilemma that they're going back and forth about. I think uh, I mean I, I certainly do like having conflict between PCs and you know between PCs. But I don't really try to go out of my way to create that necessarily. Yeah, and I want to be clear too. We know. don't do it either. We're not fisticuffs at all. But right. I think I think it is the philosophical discussion that I notice with my players. They're not fighting. They're not angry at each other. But there's conflict, and that kind of creates this this intrigue to watching the players act with each other. You know, and then result, and then they come usually around the table, like behind me, if you're watching it on YouTube right now, you can see I'm at the conference table. That's where they have those discussions. And then they walk out of the U- the room in a unified front, but they have all that drama going on in the back of their head. Yeah. yeah Creates sure. interesting discussions. Definitely. Well, and, and it's funny because I look at these foci and I immediately think of uh, the discovery episode in season two, New Eden. Um, like that's where my mind mm. almost immediately went when I saw all of these, cause you know, you've got steely eyed missile man in terms of Pike, you know, jumping on the phaser, um, you know, there's the theology angle there's, you know, do we break general order one? There's, you know, there's gymnastics. He's jumping on the, <laughs> the phaser, you know, uh, you know, Michael is going through their holy texts and, mm. And mm. they have to do the donut maneuver to get the the asteroids away from the, you know, so that's unorthodox mathematics. Um, oh, my so God, like, you have such a good goal. That's where I was like, boom, 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 boom. Like, <laughs> those right. fell into place for me. Wow. All right. So it sounds to me like Aaron seems to want to start this riff out. and For, for the adventure? It sounds to me like, if, unless anyone else wants to say something you know, about. Pitch my adventure then? Yeah, that's what we do with riffing. You riff and then we yes and it. And by the end of it, we're all going to wish we took the time to write this into a module to pitch to Jim. My initial (laughs) idea of how I combined all these was it's a first contact situation with a species 
that evolved on uh, inside a large series-like asteroid, where their entire theology was their good afterlife was towards the hot core of it, and their bad afterlife was out towards the, the vacuum of the surface of their asteroid. And so that there's this large division in their society of going out and exploring their large asteroid belt, because that's like going into the bad afterlife, so to speak. But they have just started venturing out. And it just turns out that this is a star system that Starfleet has outposts in. Well, I should say the Federation has outposts in. And they didn't expect to have beings just pop out of the middle of an asteroid because they aren't exactly technological in the same way that we are. Um, and that's kind of leads into the unorthodox mathematics is that they they don't see with light. They just kind of use radar or something like that. And they live in tunnels. They aren't humanoid. Um, yeah, strange, right? I, I tend like to like having people? strange, not mole people. I, I would say like, even not even like Horta, but like, let's say, let's say, starfish looking things with lots of legs that can move through the asteroid at easily in many many different directions or maybe they don't even have to move very much because they have long legs but they are sentient and they can leave maybe they are silicon based as well who knows i'm liking this yes and someone I absolutely like it. I think the LIDARians, uh, just to riff on LIDAR as a method of uh, perceiving the universe, works really well. Uh, and then what I think works uh, would be amazing is that, uh, uh, and this is where the xenotheology and the xenoclassical literature comes in, is basically during this first contact situation, uh, one of the members of the crew should have the opportunity to see the information that's being presented in uh, their texts. Like it, their texts are not written on paper. Their texts are etched into the cave walls and mm -hmm. they're etched uh, specifically in a mineral that actually sh comes through on the sensor readings so they can see their symbology uh, through sensors very well. And they are reminiscent of several other uh, ancient Federation uh, cultures and so the xenotheologist now has to go through both classical literature to see if he can if they can match up um, what they're viewing for symbols and use that as the beginnings of some kind of translation matrix uh, that they can put together. And then I'm going to talk about how they travel through space. Since they're like a tunneling species, it would make sense that they would use quantum tunneling versus a traditional warp drive, because mm -hmm. I think that's how they would think. And that's very much unorthodox mm -hmm. in terms of, of you know, physics and application of, of mathematics um, and astrophysics. Um, so like, but it would make sense to their brains to do it that way versus, you know, doing it through a warp bubble. Um, and I think that would be interesting to, to, you know, they'd be like, we don't really see a lot of species do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that might be fun to have them accidentally, accidentally tunnel into the Federation outpost in the system because they detected like the, the, you know, gravity well that it was producing the small one. They're like, hmm, there's minerals over there. Let's tunnel into that. 
And suddenly there's this really strange kind of eldritch looking being in the middle of the uh, arboretum. And you're like, yeah. Well, I, uh, well, and that's the thing. I'm thinking about steely-eyed missile woman at this point where are they using quantum tunneling to find like geological resonance in other planets to pop up there? I think about the movie Thor when he, you know, that little Asgardian symbol that happens whenever they pop out through the rainbow bridge. Right. So, so what kind I mean, of engineering would be necessary yeah, in order to figure out that transport is an Einstein Rosenbridge, which is quantum tunneling basically. Mm -hmm. So yeah. We You'd have to be pretty brave to go through it. <laughs> Well, you need the Pretty body, stupid. you need the physical composition to be able to survive and then pull out of these, as you said, uh, Luanika, you said the yeah, term maybe, um, maybe symbology, they, they, the symbol, yeah. like being able to travel through symbology. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. pretty powerful. Oh, man, Al, Jim, yeah. what do you got? Yes, Ann. So I was going to say, and in addition, so let's say they accidentally bore into this outpost uh, asteroid um, and, uh, you know, uh, the the people on this outpost uh, recognize that there's some weird disturbance out there. So they send uh, a shuttle uh, to investigate uh, and maybe uh, this quantum tunneling is not great for subspace and something happens to the shuttle, which causes it to crash into the series like Asteroid, um, which is where uh, they can eventually find uh, the language that Lewinico was was speaking about. Um, so you see uh, two points of view here. You see, um, you know, uh, the, the Federation uh, meeting up with the Lydarians and then the Lydarians meeting up with the Federation. And you can kind of show like both sides of the story. Well, and and as far as Starfleet Protocol is concerned, you know, there's there's nuance there because you know maybe they've developed this you know Bifrost esque uh, quantum tunneling travel, but you know so they're like, but the Starfleet installation is there because this species has always been underground, and they're like, okay, yeah, there's a species underground there, but maybe they couldn't track the development of that species. So they had no idea that mm. this species had gotten as advanced as they had. So, you know, what's the protocol there? You know? Definitely the legal aspects and the protocol aspects of uh, a species that can travel at warp speeds, but it's not warp quote unquote, <laughs> and it's not in a vessel specifically does trips and bells and whistles as to what the protocol is do we you know do we engage as though it's a standard first contact situation or once they meet us they chose to meet us mm -hmm. or if, you know and it's not us breaking the protocol they came to us uh, and now we're obligated to treat them as any other spacefaring race um however um we have to first find a way to communicate, and then we have to rationalize our own protocols or even update our own protocols to reflect this unique or relatively unique situation. Because a sentient species that can do a thing but doesn't do it in the same manner as all the other sentient species we know, how do you handle that? Well, and What's there could the be next a Jim, yeah. Jim, Let's get Jim's yes and real quick. I want to make sure we all have the voice in here. So I was... Um... Uh, I love listening. I, I love listening to all of you. I, I think everything's great here. I, I was going to yes and to say um, I was thinking about how to fold in the Xeno classical literature into this, and not not because it was my focus that I picked, but just because it, that's, that seems to be the one piece that's not quite 
connecting yet. And so what I was thinking is, is that to yes and everything that you all are talking about is to add another layer to this onion, where if we're saying that the, the Ladarians like primarily live inside this, this asteroid and going to the going to the surface is the bad place and going closer to the core is the good place, they wouldn't be going to the surface necessarily. But what if in all of their travels they they picked up like a, like a lamprey, like a sentient lamprey of some sort. Who, who understands enough of their language and can see the imprints that they make from planet to planet. Like they see that Asgardian symbol, whatever the equivalent is. And, and this lamprey is sentient and is, and is creating like a living history of what this asteroid has done and has gone and has been up to, right? So, but, but it also knows to some level, like maybe it's, been on, maybe it's been a lamprey on this asteroid for a long time and it understands enough of the theology of the species that's inside the asteroid to know that they are they are um, shunned, right? They, they will never be part of the enlightened um, alien species that is in this asteroid. So they they accepted to some level that they are on the outside and they will never get on the inside. But they're they have taken it upon themselves to record the history of this of this traveling species, and and that would be the first species that the crashing shuttlecraft encounters. So they encounter this this like leech lamprey kind of thing. And it, my my very first initial thought was it was kind of like a like a whimsical character, kind of like a um, Cyrano Jones kind of a resp like a um, what was that DS9 episode with uh, Rumpelstiltskin, like like kind of a funny character that you think you kind of like get this one perspective of, and then all of a sudden you discover that there's a huge amount of uh, you know lore and depth behind them, and they're also the gateway to the bigger story, which is this the species inside the asteroid. Um, with all the other things that you all been already created with, so I was just thinking about adding another layer of uh, of stuff and sci finance to it. Yeah, I think I think the language piece because you got the lamprey and you got the starfish creatures that maybe between the symbology and the lidar that they're communicating through some sort of routine that only a person with gymnastics and gymnastics routine would realize that there's a body movement, there's a kinesthetic, there's a kinesthetic level to this. And and there's going to need to be some sort of kinesthetic learning a dance that's part of the theology in order to enhance communication. Like like maybe they, you need to respect them in order for them to even want to communicate with you. And part of that respect is doing that first contact routine or something. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And like that Voyager episode where they're all like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I, was, I was going to go in that direction. I was going to say like like maybe the gymnastics is tied into the mathematics where maybe this maybe this uh, species has you know multi-legged or multi-jointed uh, appendages right and and doing those appendages in certain mm -hmm. sequences and certain timings gets into the mathematics part of it so it's not necessarily music per se but it's like they're, they're doing the gymnastics but it's in specific mathematical formulae of some sort so that someone with a mathematical background would look at that and eventually figure out, oh well, that's you know, I don't know, Aaron. I'll, I'll need you to lean on. I'll, I'll need to lean on you here for the math. But uh, like, oh, that's base ten, or that's you know, base six, or whatever. It's like, holy yeah, crap, just a different base. Math. It's all math, yeah. right? And, and then yeah. the, that opens up the light bulb, and then you're off on an extended task or a scientific method or something wacky like that. Yeah, sure, and it ten C. Yeah, it could also be that um, their demons can't communicate in the same are like according to their literature and their old writings on their religion that demons that live outside the asteroid can't communicate in the same way mm. so 
communicating through this body movement, this specific body movement helps convince them that, hey, look, uh, we're, we, yeah, we might be from the outside, but we're not, we're not your demons. We're, we're, we're just people like you. We just live somewhere else. Oh, wow. That's, that's awesome. So that gets into the dimensions of their physical body, whether they're 2D, 4D, 5D creatures, Mm -hmm. which gets you into the unorthodox mathematics and why you would need a steely eyed missile woman to engineer a situation, engineer a solution with this. Mm. Absolutely. Yes. And it would take somebody who knows gymnastics uh, to model in a three-dimensional uh, or four-dimensional space, because we have time also, um, space to then uh, to do that and have it mapped in some way by the ship's computers, and then it's the unorthodox math to go ahead and take that out to the 5D space that they uh, exist within to then mirror the movement. So it's almost like uh, if it's just crew members doing these various gymnastic movements it's like a two-year-old talking uh uh to uh, a phd level intellect um at a certain point the only thing they've successfully said is mama and dada they haven't gotten anything else out and that's how they're regarding us like we're the ones who aren't worthy of first contact Uh, we're the ones that they should be hiding from until we develop enough. And it's until we can do the mathematics and build the machine to Mm -hmm. map that out and then communicate that through a holographic display or what have you. Yeah. Well, uh, that that they, that we can't resolve the issue. Yeah. Well, and we're bipedal, right? So like, you know, you need to do a handstand. You need to, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to do something else. Um, and, and, you know, cause, cause if we're not dealing with a species that is even vertebrate, like how, and they communicate through motion, how do you, you know, how do you do that? And, you know, being able to look at their literature, you're also able to, you know, contextualize their cultural conflicts based on this type of movement. So you can recognize like, oh yeah, the way we're trying to talk to them, they think we're like toddlers. <laughs> I think that in addition to that, you know, I, I don't think we can underplay enough the um, the value of the uh, the fact that they want to be closer to the core of the asteroid. Like, I think that theological bit would be uh, a great conflict between a couple of crewmates trying to figure out how to communicate uh, with those that live within uh, the asteroid because they might be trying to lure them out to come talk with us when maybe mm-hmm. the the xenotheologist would be like no no we have to go to them like that this is not going to work like we, you know I think building that type of conflict in as well um, would be a great scene to add in yeah and this is the point in a module where i like okay we got the components and okay we kind of understand the world building there and then to put the pressure on there needs to be some sort of time constraint some sort of imminent danger where all of these amazing things that have to happen mathematically figuring out theologically literature wise all this what would some the possible dire issue be given what we know the asteroid is on a collision course with uh, a, a gas giant in the system that it's in, and it's not mm-hmm. going to go elsewhere. Yeah, or or the core of the asteroid is made out of a nuclear material that's harmful to everybody involved. 
Um, my idea would be that their wormholes that they can open up are attracted to uh, high energy density regions, which include warp cores. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. That can be a challenge. So is yeah. the subspace tunneling basically like drawing in the warp particles and dragging this, creating like a warp drag or something? What do you? No, it's just that they're 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 wormholes like opening up in high energy density areas, like the core of a star or the center of a warp reactor that has matter and antimatter annihilating each other. So it's only a matter of time before one of these one of their scientists and engineers makes a wormhole right into the the core of a nearby starship. And suddenly there is an antimatter explosion in the middle of their asteroid. Oh my goodness, you just did the that show would, opener. You just did the show would be opener. A diplomatic nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> because it would it would look like an act of war, wouldn't it? Oh, and yeah. what if oh Absolutely. Now, okay. So you just so you, Babylon five. Right. So you've added and, and of course Klingons are blaming, Romulans are blaming the Ferengi. Okay, I love that. I almost see the opener being a diplomatic shuttle um kind of uh some folks there the tunnel opens up this strange being is there the shuttle explodes but they got a message out or a brief image of the creature and uh that's where it starts and the ship is sent into the system to investigate what took place with this shuttle and then act one is al's crash right Oh, this is interesting. Okay, 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 okay. Very good yeah, job, I mean, people. The, the <laughs> keep going. Technology yeah. could also work as like a sort of interdiction that's disrupting warp drive, you know, because it, it's probably tunneling through subspace and it's mm -hmm. destabilizing subspace. Mm. Uh, and, you know, and that's going to cause subspace turbulence, which, you know, causes shuttles to crash. When subspace looks like Swiss cheese, it's really tough for ships to go through it. Yeah. Okay, so now we're seeing as a, as game masters where our threat is going when they roll complications, the mystery thickens, right? We start seeing commonality of issues. Maybe I like the fact that it was diplomatic because people are pointing fingers. You could you could up it by having it have been another first contact that went wrong. It was the first contact with someone else and that shuttle blew up and you have this B story going on of the other polity freaking out. Like, oh, this is what it's like to work with the Federation. So there's a lot of good juice and meat in, in this one. Good, good. Well, that was unorthodox mathematics, xenotheology, steely-eyed missile women, Starfleet protocol, gymnastics, and xenoclassical literature on riffs. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. There's been a couple of times when we've done this where afterwards... I've been Jim like, should I pitch this to you to actually write up? Cause that was pretty awesome. <laughs> I, that I love that is amazing. I, it's amazing. I, I absolutely love this adventure. This is this is this would be a lot of fun. <laughs> Put all of our names on it. Just as like yeah. uh, written by. You know? <laughs> story by story by yeah, yeah. i would uh, I, I would leave that up to the five of you like if you if you collectively <laughs> want to um pull this together and and pitch it um i mean you know i can i can tell you live i green light it and uh, <laughs> make it happen I, I don't know what that would look like in terms of um um like 
I mean, I don't know if I'll find it if you want to collaborate on it or whatever. No, oh, I'll, I'll outline it. I'll outline it. I'll send Aaron the the space warp stuff, and then look. <laughs> you, you know, it's perfect because then you got you got you got Sky Owl and Lee and Nika. They could each do an act, and you know, I'll just for for funsies, I'll just do the front opener, the explosion, and the end conclusion questions. I love asking the questions that piss people off. So so I, I think let me outline this sidebars for me. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody can write the extra mission brief at the end uh, to uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim, you could do that. Yeah, no, I cannot. I have no time. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I'm absolutely happy to be the editor and uh, and the shepherd of this uh, once once you get it all together. But uh, um, I am I am a okay not writing a piece of this. I'd rather the five of you uh, enjoy it. And, um, well, now I'm going to take up the challenge. I'm doing it. I'm just going to yeah. do it because it'll be fun. it'll be heck of fun Hell just to yeah. just to absolutely. do that. Okay, cool, right? Well, I think this is cool because this is what a writer's w- workshop is like, right? A writer's room is just this. And I, I a couple of things will go around and actually talk to people like, what did you like about this? Uh, my, what do I like about this is again, the yes and. Notice there wasn't arguing, you, you know, no, that's, I, it sucks. I hate that. It's like, yes, and, and you just weave it and make it rich. And I just think if you as a game master and players can play yes, and in the game, you're going to all feel like you're contributing to an amazing story. And then, you know, you get some ownership over that. Um, let's go around. I'll pass the baton out. What, what, what works for you about what we did and f- focusing on riffing on focuses. So I, I mean, I love the collaborative uh, piece of this, by the way, I think that's a lot of fun. Uh, and that's sometimes missing um, in a lot of uh, freelance work is is being able to communicate with other people. Uh, luckily, you know, I can always bounce ideas off of Michael and Aaron, and, and, and all the writers are really open. So I'm thankful for that. Um, one of the things that is challenging about it is like, as you're going through, like, you've committed, you've yes anded, and then you're like, oh, wait, I've got something else that would work really well way back then. Uh, and so you just have to like compartmentalize that and use that for a different story later on. You know what I mean? Um, as you're rolling through and, you know, passing the ball uh, to other people. So yeah, it's such, a, it's, it's so much fun. Baton. Uh, Sky. <laughs> Me? Oh, I, I just love the idea of the challenge of communication. Um, I've always really loved languages. Um, it's part of the reason why I'm a computer programmer now. Um, and I just, I love the, the combined elements of the, like, the, the, the theology with the communication. Um, I mean, we, look look at all of this 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 mishmash of foci and and we were able to come up with something so epic um and i and i just love how you know how we all kind of described our process of how we're we're kind of building off of each one you know where our logic is going with that i mean i love my logic so (laughs) so i love that so uh um i think uh uh Luanika, is that how you say your name? Perfect. Ah, oh, yeah, I got it. <laughs> so I, I, I have a deep family history. Anybody who follows me on Twitter will actually see or Facebook sees glimpses of that fairly frequently um, and that I'm very proud of. And one of the things that uh, my father has provided me in my life is a love of family history and deep history and that tradition. And 
I approach a lot of the projects I work on with that kind of mindset. So with this mishmash of great foci, I found it amazingly rewarding that we could give this alien species uh, a deep history, uh, even if a large part of it may be subtext, but it's there. When we start talking about classical literature and these things that have been seeded around the galaxy, uh, and we're only looking at this glimpse of it, 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 it speaks to that deeper history. And what I really like about this is when this adventure is done and play and a, and a GM and a table have played this adventure, they can choose to take this further. They can look at that other that other shuttle that blew up in some other place where was there was that other diplomatic thing going on and say, wait a minute. So this asteroid at some point was near this planet or that planet or how did this? It couldn't have been this asteroid. We've tracked the history of this. These th these these beings are everywhere. You know, we now have this greater story that we can go into. And um, to one of the original things we talked about, a campaign, that's your campaign. This is the opener to that campaign is, can you go out and find other uh, asteroids in the galaxy, in the quadrant, and help them uh, avoid these uh, warp core traps effectively uh, so you can help this species on. Like once you've made uh, contact and formed a relationship with them, are you going to help their brethren elsewhere in the quadrant? Are you going to defend them from, say, the Romulans who would destroy them or the Ferengi who might exploit them or what have you? That's your campaign. It's a ship, uh, a science ship. Uh, or maybe a, a California-class engineering ship who's out there to go go out there and go ahead and set up things, uh, maybe uh, go to star bases in remote areas and uh, set up equipment to uh, dissuade these beings or at least warn these beings, like, this is not a good spot to go to. You, you want, might want to move on to the next sector. Uh, that's your campaign epic. And, and I think this is the perfect entrance point to that greater campaign. Yeah. Yeah, I I, uh, I, I have long had a uh, character concept that I've wanted to play that I just haven't found the right campaign for of a junior science officer who is focused on anthropology and archaeology and 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 had as just a personal character trait had a personal uh, you know his his uh, his species had a, a particular theology that he was important to that was important to him and I could easily see this this kind of an episode could almost be a pilot to a campaign. And, yep. and and he would like he would like get into that whole thing about the alien species, and that would become his like pet project for the entire first season, if not the entire campaign, of like wanting to research this species. Where have they been? Where were they going? How many more are out there? How many more asteroids are out there in the quantum tunneling or whatever? And uh, that that would keep like me as a player. That would keep me occupied forever, even in addition to whatever you know story of the week was happening. That would give me a lot of material just to play with and, and give the GM lots of things to do if if they wanted to, you know. Um, uh, so that's that's totally awesome. I love it. Um, I did want to also add one of the things I love about everything that we've come up with tonight and looking at these uh, looking at these focuses from the game master perspective. I'm super excited because I've given everybody something to do. Uh, like this is a truly ensemble um, episode or adventure. Everyone's got a cool moment. Everyone's got a moment to shine. There's some great synergies here between all the different roles and all the different characters. 
Uh, so I'm really pumped about that because I, I can come to this session as a game master thinking, as long as everybody shows up, everyone's going to have something cool to do. And whoever misses out is just going to miss out and there'll be you know, a supporting character that gets some love that, that evening. Um, and then from a player perspective, very similarly, um, I get to know that A, the game master is listening to us and they're actually pulling stuff off our character sheets and actually finding really cool ways to incorporate them into the campaign and into the episode. And uh, it gives me that kind of um, dopamine hit as we were talking about at the beginning um, that, that I get to do something cool. I get, to, I get to have my moment in the spotlight like I get to share it with everybody because everyone's got their cool thing to do. But like this little moment is very clearly xenotheology focused or this little moment is very clearly gymnastics focused. And I'd be really excited about that. So I'm just, I'm really pumped that that we were able to find meaningful, meaty things for everybody to do and everybody to contribute to. And I think that that is truly in the best spirit of Star Trek because it's it's itic, it's it's teamwork, it's collaboration. It's it's getting stuff done together where you can't do it individually. Like like any one of these characters would probably struggle to solve this thing on their own, but you start adding in the pieces and you start adding in the people, and all of a sudden it's possible. Can I can I add that what I think we also could have done with this or we did do with this is we basically used foci to um, describe an alien culture, what's important to them. And we basically designed a, a new alien species with these as our these being the important things to their culture and how they might relate to Starfleet. Yes. Federation and I credit well. to Liwanika because mm-hmm. he just completely went off the map with it. Like <laughs> as far as the the creativity. And I was I was so happy with that. <laughs> and the and the player moment I'd be looking for too, because of how we described it, I would be somehow as a game master trying to influence wherein everybody around the table gets up, holds blankets like they're giant starfish and are dancing around in a routine in order to communicate. If I could get people to like do that, I'd be like, ah, oh, win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can see some pool noodles being used in very <laughs> unique and fun ways or um, e- e- any and everything uh, like the the Legos, the extended Legos with the with the give them props. That, yeah. meme, is, that meme with the dudes at Home Depot with the the the, oh, the, the pipes on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would totally have props yeah, laying prop, around. Props like, if you, uh, yeah, just like whose line. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's time to talk about first contact protocols. Do it through interpretive dance with pools. Exactly. (laughs) If you can get get people to do this, you know, that to me is where role-playing games like Star Trek Adventures, when you get people physically doing that, then you're like, okay, we're having fun. Now we're really playing. Um, And I, I think that's what makes the most memorable campaigns oftentimes. Aaron, I love that suggestion. And if there's nothing that was said tonight that doesn't scream, this needs to be a lower decks mission. This is the one. Yeah! That's the one. If you didn't see Boimler, Mariner, and Tendi waving uh, pool noodles from Cetacean Ops to mm. get this mission accomplished, we did something wrong they, here. They got an anti-grav sling for Matt and Kamalu, and they're just like, and then they've got like an someone who does aerial as a hobby, you know, on yeah. that ring, you know. <laughs> 
And See you now, know, yeah. you, know, you know there'd be a moment where they're where they're all doing it, right? They're all doing it with the with the pool noodles and the acrobatics and stuff. And like 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 uh, Doctor Taana would like the like, like the doors would open and Doctor Taana would peek her head in and say, "What the f are you people doing?" And then she'd go storming <laughs> off or something. Be, <laughs> total lower decks moment right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, that and there'd also be the moment where the diplomat we talked about before, where the people who ship blew up, they're very serious. They're very angry. They think they don't think that anyone's taking this seriously, and they walk in in the room when everyone's doing these weird dances. <laughs> no, they just bust onto the bridge while like Captain Freeman's trying to like you know like serious negotiate and they just start with the pool noodles and then the, and then like the aliens are like ah yes yes this is exactly our point look yeah, at yeah. you goofing around while <laughs> yeah this is total lower no, decks so I love it we may have to do a little you know, lower decks inset it doesn't have yeah. to be right it doesn't right. have to be, lower have to be. It, could, like, it could easily be lower decks but it doesn't have to be. I could easily see this kind of thing happening on Discovery. I mean, literally any of the series, really, right? Yeah. Uh, the original series might be a little hard. I'm not quite sure how Spock and Kirk would grok this out, but uh, it could be. It could happen, right? Well, but I got the hand of Apollo. Day. I think they'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think Uhura would handle this mission exceptionally yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. She dances. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, she's a phenomenal dancer, and I think she would pick up on... And as, mm -hmm. and as a... Michelle Nichols, just her as an actress, would have handled this kind of thing wonderfully. Yep. Yep. Uh, the character as written and certainly uh, in Alpha and Beta canon would absolutely, and then the way the character has been being written in Strange New Worlds, mm -hmm. would certainly pick up on the uh, the language elements of this. And while, yep. she, and while that character may not have all those dance elements, she would be able to, she would definitely be the character who connects those dots mm -hmm. or helps the crew connect those dots so they can get in touch with the right folks to make it happen and i like that you said that because so. yeah when we're when we're writing mission briefs we're oftentimes suggesting which roles would be good for this so we're looking here at we're looking at uh uh con because of the flight thing lidar thing mm -hmm. but then we're taking communications which is great when we can create communication episodes and i see science of course and engineering all over here so this again historian as yeah well. as like, a science yeah Ooh. that's appeared in a couple episodes that's yeah. true. That's really true. It's really obscure, though. But yeah, I love obscure. Obscure is what makes us come back to Star Trek. We, it, it's to boldly go where no one has gone before. We don't want right. to play the same stuff so every yeah. episode. All right, Jim, this turned out better than I thought. It sure did. I wasn't expecting this at all. This is great. I love it. Okay. This is the, this is the power of. Uh, so I guess this is the message for game masters out there, right? Especially new game masters. If you are new to the Star Trek adventures and you're you're a little unsure about how to start coming up with episode ideas like like lean on your group go find some other game masters get a collective together get on a zoom call get on a get on a google chat or something and just riff riff together with each other and just come up with some crazy ideas because collectively you're always going to come up with, well not, you're almost always going to come up with better ideas as a group than you are going to do it by yourself and that's why um i love star trek because like you think about all the cool stuff that we've come up with for this episode already think how much is going to expand once you bring it to the table right because then you've got your six players and you're going to start throwing this stuff at them and they're going to start coming up with their own ideas and their own angles and all this and all of a sudden you might start taking it into, into new and interesting tangents that, that we didn't write or foresee but it'll make it even richer because you're getting their input and you're getting their buy-in and and that's where the real power is is like once you got your players engaged 
and they have and they know that they have real agency and how things are going to turn out and they're not just uh you know you know um, connecting the dots in the module and coming to the preconceived conclusion right if they have the agency and they know that they're driving it towards something it's gonna be even better than what we could have come up with so um get, get collaborative don't be afraid to reach out to people and, and talk to them there's tons of there's tons of sca groups out there there's uh the reddit the facebook the forums the discords there's all kinds of stuff out there so don't be afraid to riff with each other and then uh, let us know how it goes because we're super excited to hear all your stories. And and uh, just um, if you're not comfortable with creating your own content yet, but you do want to try this same idea with focuses, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, go through one of the mission compendiums and see what might work. Like the, the six that we came up with tonight, uh, I can tell you right now, the episode Footfall out of um, the Strange New Worlds compendium, every single one of those could have been applied in almost the exact same fashion <laughs> to that mission. Yeah. Uh, so like, you know, just if, if you're not comfortable with creating your own missions and you have the mission compendiums, uh, feel free to still look at the focuses and see where they could apply um, in those missions as well. Like don't don't feel intimidated. Like you have to write every single story um that you come up with uh and you know if you're not comfortable with that yet just get uh dialed in on those focuses and see how to apply them to stuff that's already written i i i can tell you from my experience and i've been writing for a lot of years um i have not been writing professionally as well until i teamed up with my two co-hosts we write as a team our our previous freelance work was done as a team. The three of us pitch pitched three different. We talk about the ideas. We pitch. We pitched ideas. One or one or more of them might get accepted, and then we roll through as a team. And it's uh, all of us writing different elements. We'll kind of figure out who's going to write what pieces. We write what pieces. Uh, we have an editorial process through the three of us, and that's how we do it. We are collaborative. In fact, our very first publication was about collaborative world building so your table helps write elements of every single adventure that's how we start every game we run at our tables we've even adapted that for sta because we want our players to be engaged and if the very first thing you do is ask your players how do you want to be a part of a thing they're automatically engaged in that thing I love that. You know why? It creates what I'm going to call a Kramer moment. Then when, you know, this guest star rolls into the, into the room on Seinfeld and everyone cheers and they have to wait for everyone, to, the cheering to calm down. I think by you doing that, Leonika, is you're making it so that when their element of the story pops up, they get their moment, they get their Kramer moment. And I, I think that's such a great way to play collaboratively. So good. All right. Well, I think we're a gratitude, Jim. Yeah, sounds good. So why don't we uh, why don't we start with you, Michael? Who who you want to um, thank tonight? You know me, you know me, I'm brick and mortar. I'm about the brick and mortar. And so uh, we have Nicholas Corries who shouts out Etten Games and Hobbies in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I'm happy to have New Mexico in the house. I also want to give another um, shout out to King Kong Games and Comics in Dublin, California. Why? I took my nephews there this past weekend. I said I was going to do that. And they, they... I noticed they did not have Star Trek adventures on the shelf. And so after I like thrashed the whole place and like, you know, threw things and stuff like that, you know, they took my information and they invited me to free comic book a day to run the 
the game over there. So let's see if I can get a couple converts to STA. So I'm going to shout them out uh, one more time and then I'm going to pass the baton. Let's go to Aaron Paulier. Unmuted. Um, I'm going to shout out a non gaming store for, for the first time. I'm going to shout out dead time stories here in, in Lansing. It's a, it's a bookstore that specifically deals with true crime and weird things like cryptids and horror and 1950s and 60s horror. I absolutely adore this. It's a small locally owned bookstore and those little tiny bookstores just, you know, they're disappearing. And this one has brought me a lot of joy over the past few months. Nice. Go ahead and pass that baton. Oh, I'm sorry. Go, go Al, go Al. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, you said you mentioned uh free uh, comic book day coming up. So my, uh, my thanks actually is free RPG day uh, is coming. It's the last Saturday in June, the 24th. Um, and I want to thank uh, all publishers who are participating, uh, Modifius is participating, and all uh, game masters that are volunteering to show um, games to their uh, their local communities. Um, I know that we're running a little mini con at my shop uh, and sh exposing eight games, uh, eight new games to players and whatnot. So uh, I just want to thank uh, everyone for participating in that program. Wonderful. Let's go Sky. All right. Uh, I would like to shout out my friend Steffi Hoschreigel. She is from Germany, um, and she is she's been having a little bit of imposter syndrome. She's a very talented artist, um, and she's on Twitter. Um, and her art has been noticed by uh, Todd Stashwick and Brandon Clayla. Um, and so, uh, so she's actually collaborating with Brandon on some of his shirts for the finale of, of, um, Star Trek Picard season three and the finale of the whole show. Sweet. So uh, yeah, cause Brandon, you know, he designed that USS Titan shirt that Todd wears and he's been designing other shirts cause people have gone nuts over them. Um, but she has collaborated with him on those. And so I want to see, you know, and, and she got a shout out by Todd on who is also a gigantic TTRPG nerd. Um, and so she got a shout out and I was just like, take that Steffi's imposter syndrome. And I also want to shout out uh, to Jesse and Laura Jerdak, um, who are uh, great um, advocates for diversity and respect and general um like be excellent to each otherness in the tabletop and DD community. So Beautiful, beautiful. Nuanika, our first timer, you made it. Yes, I made it all the way through. I didn't fall down or trip over my tongue just yet. Give it time. I'll get there, I promise you. Um, I, I, I said it once and I have to say it again. I have to give that shout out to Citadel Game Seller in Groton, Connecticut. Uh, it has been my game store since 1978. I was an I was very young. I think I was six years old when I first visited Connecticut, went to the store in its original location. I was in there for probably two hours um, and uh, left. I did not move back to the state for several years. The owner at the time, he has since passed, um, a wonderful human being. I moved into the area like eight years later, and he remembered me. Wow, that's nice. 
and remembered the books that I was looking at and the games that I was looking at. And when I moved away from town, went to college, states away, it was still my store. I would either order things or come back on uh, on weekends to go to that store. I've gamed in that store. Many of my friends have worked at that store. It's an amazing place. When he was retiring and passed it on, uh, the first set of owners he was going to sell to that didn't go through the, because he didn't feel they were going to shepherd his store well. The new owners are amazing human beings. I count them among my good friends. Uh, and uh, to talk how much they love the community and the games, when I went in two weeks ago and said, if I'm running an STA event, uh, a learn to play, we're going to have to get more dice. We're going to have to get a couple more of the books in here. Uh, I went back this weekend and they had the dice. They had more of the books. And then their first question to me is, what other books do we need on the shelf to make sure that event goes well? And it's like, get more of the player's guide. He's like, we got them in. They sold out already. I'm like, get them in again. You're going to need them. <laughs> you know, uh, these are the kind of people that I have to shout out as often as possible because Ken, uh, Dave, and the rest of the crew down there, Sean and their and their big, wonderful, lovely dog are just amazing human people, uh, human beings. And that uh, please really, email me their really contact interest. information if you could. Please email it to me. A absolutely. I'm ordering absolutely. from them something. All right. Yeah, they're, they're they're amazing people. They really are, and I love that store. Great shout out. All right, Jim, take us out. Yeah, that's great. Thank, thanks to all of the all the brick and mortar stores out there because uh, they are the the direct conduit to the to the fan base. Um, and uh, like I, I've long I, I've said many times on other shows that uh, like the the online community of Star Trek Adventures is great, and but they they have to be a very small percentage of the totality of the Star Trek Adventures gaming community around the world, right? Because I am confident just looking at the numbers of the members of the Discord and the Facebook group and the subreddit etc like and, and knowing what the sales figures are like the numbers don't add up right because clearly there's a huge contingent of gamers that are out there in the world playing the game enjoying the game buying the game and they ain't online or they're not engaged online they're probably online but they're not engaged online in the communities and they are a lot of them i'm confident are at the local game group at the game stores buying the game talking talking about the game etc um, or they're at home, you know, playing with their with their friends or whatever, which is totally cool. Uh, so thanks to all the brick and mortars because because uh, you 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 are supporting this industry in ways that no other no other buddy no other body is. So thank you for that. Um, I also want to closer to home here. I want to thank everybody on this call for getting together tonight to talk about these focuses because this was super super fun. And uh, you know, talk about a dopamine hit. Uh, there are there are days. <laughs> as the project manager where I'm very lonely because I can't talk about all the stuff that's going on, uh, not just because of NDAs and stuff, but just because there's a there's a certain level of uh, insulation that I want to put between me and all the freelancers because you don't need to know all the sausage making. Like you see some of it, but you just don't need to know the details. And it's hard not to be able to, to not be able to share that, right? So I really, really enjoy uh, times like this where we get to just riff on story and just do cool stuff together. So I really appreciate all of you being here. Uh, so thank you uh, for all of you. Uh, of course, thank you to the fans. Without the fans, we wouldn't be doing any of this at all, especially after seven years. Uh, so thank you to the fans for supporting the game, supporting us, uh, you know, getting excited about the books or, you know, being critical about the books. That's perfectly cool, too, because like not, you know, not everything we do is for everybody because we can't please everybody. But we'll try to please as many people as we can. Uh, so thanks to all the fans for being with us for this long and for, you know, for the times to come as well. Uh, and finally, um, I would be uh, remiss as uh, if I wouldn't be doing my friend duty and my supportive duty if I didn't give a, a shameless plug 
to uh, two Star Trek Adventures um, uh, alumni uh, fiction uh, you know, uh, writers, uh, Al Spader and uh, Allison Seavey, who uh, just released uh, their, their own RPG called Sentience, based on the uh, 2D20 system as part of the 2D20 World Builder system. This, the Quick Start came out uh, a couple weeks ago, and the core book just hit um, a few days ago, so it's on Drive-Thru RPG. It's on other sites out there. Go check it out. It's all about sentient terraforming robots. So it's brilliant, cool. brilliant concept. That's super awesome concept. It's 2D20. So if you're familiar with Star Trek Adventures, Conan, et cetera, et cetera, you're familiar with the system. It's not all that different, but uh, the concept, super cool. So uh, go check it out. Support them. Support your local gamers. Support your local designers and developers because we are we are stronger as a community than we are just like doing it one off together. So this is the strength of collaboration right here is that I, I'm going to guess, Al, that you guys met each other through Star Trek Adventures, and now you're going off and doing your own thing. And that's super, super exciting. So uh, I will leave it at, at that. That's cool. And then you get the book. I want everyone to go out there, get get the book, and then watch this episode again, but change the word focus for program, and it'll all make sense to you. Yeah. <laughs> I swear, <laughs> Al, I'll, I'll play with y'all sometime. I, I swear. already watch you, too. <laughs> I know. Al, I was planning on saving this for when we record your visit to our show uh, in, in a week or so, but uh, uh, you have a standing invite to, to run a session for the, the the team here over at Tabletop Journey. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll make it consider happen. Consider that a done deal. Yeah, yeah we'll make awesome. it happen. Gotcha. I'm going to do one last plug also for Lewanika. He has a podcast along with Josh and I just forgot the other person's name. Glenn. Glenn, Josh and Glenn uh, called Tabletop Journeys. Amazing, especially if you want to learn the ins and outs of different games coming onto the market. It's so important that you let us shop through a podcast so that when I walk into a store, I know what I'm talking about and looking at. So really appreciate you uh, doing that act of love and recording Tabletop Journeys for the fans. Thank you. All right. And with that, we go out IDIC. Live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. We'll talk to you all real soon. Take care, all.